0: Thanks so much for joining us on our weekly sermon podcast. We pray that this message encourages you, equips you, and inspires you as you continue to daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Enjoy the message. God bless you. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Listen, there are gonna be days where you just don't feel like blessing the Lord, where your soul just feels worn out, weary, tired, tired. But listen, David wasn't talking to anybody else other than himself when he wrote this psalm. And sometimes we need to remind our soul, just like David prayed and wrote, bless the Lord, O my soul. Because there are days where you feel burnout, where you feel tired, where you feel like you don't want to keep going, where you don't even want to open your Bible or pray. But listen, in those moments where you feel like that, that's the time where we should bless the Lord, where we should open the word of God, where we should pray, where we should worship. It's in those moments where we don't feel like it. Because, listen, sometimes there are moments (laughs) when we don't feel like it. But listen, worshiping the Lord uh, is not based off of our feelings. It's based off of who he is. Just because our feelings change doesn't mean that he does. Aren't you grateful for that? He's consistent. He's constant. The Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. Amen? (laughs) You can all have a seat. I, I so badly just wanted to keep singing that song over and over and over again. But uh, I don't know why the Lord put this on my heart. Well, I know why, because he wants to He wants to speak to us. I, I, I get that, but I just feel like whether you're watching online or maybe in the house, you're in the house this morning, you're just struggling in your walk. Uh, you're struggling to, uh, you're just struggling. You're in that season where, just doesn't make sense for me right now it just doesn't just doesn't add up the things that are happening in my life it just why you know and it just brings you to this place where um, you find yourself maybe depressed you find yourself worried over really nothing you've heard the statistic before but uh, 95 or 90 percent of the things we worry about don't actually end up happening anyways I mean that's great news because that means all of the worry that you and I have is very unnecessary. (laughs) But listen, God is with you in the midst of your struggle. God is with you in the season that you're in right now. He hasn't left you, he hasn't forsaken you, and he never will. God is faithful, and I want you to be reminded of that, just like I have to be reminded of that. Just because I'm the, the pastor doesn't mean that I've arrived at this understanding. Sometimes I'm like, man this day, what, what, why didn't anybody tell me this day was coming and why, why didn't anybody tell me this day was gonna be like that? Or, but then I have to remember that God is still in control. God is still faithful. God is still sovereign. And I ain't got nothing to worry about. Amen? Amen? Well, um, so uh, I wanted to bring something up just real quick. Aside from that, is um, <clears throat> if you get here early before service starts, not right when when service starts. Uh, there's actually slides that rotate, and they're just you know maybe their needs or maybe their uh, opportunities for you to get plugged in. Now these things aren't just there because we need some you know, fillers. Like, ah, oh, there's, we don't want to leave the screen blank, so we got to put something up there. So we might as well put, hey, we need help in children's ministry. That makes the most sense. Uh, no, these are actually needs within the, the congregation. Um, and if this is your, your home church, the call for us, if this is our home church, is to step up to the plate. Um, now, some of you are like, well, what does that mean? It could mean a handful of things. It could mean get involved in children's ministry. It could mean get involved in the young adult's night as we start that up. It could mean getting plugged in with serving spoons and, and taking, people's, uh, taking meals to, to people that maybe uh, have gone through a surgery or have just uh, had, had a baby like, like the duties or Gloria who's recovering from surgery. Listen, there are always gonna be ways for us to serve. We just gotta get plugged into it. Um, Now, I say this because I love you. (laughs) Um, Church isn't just about sitting. Like, just let that sink in for a minute. Um, I was in that place before where I thought, man, I just come and I soak it up and just get as much as I can. They're cooking good meals from God's word back there. and And I got spiritually fat. I wasn't pouring out. I wasn't, I wasn't giving to others what I was receiving myself. Listen, that's a dangerous place to be because not only are the ministry leaders a source of encouragement, but also the congregation as, as a whole. Listen, God wants to use you to encourage someone else and that someone else could be somebody that walks through the door as you're passing them a bulletin or that somebody else could be a little three-year-old who maybe is here for the first time and is just, I have no idea what this whole church thing is about. But listen, I wanna I want to lay the challenge down for you. If you're not serving somewhere, and, and, and just not children's ministry, although I harp on that a lot, I, I, I know. Um, the, the struggle is real with getting volunteers for kids' ministry, I will say that. But if you're not serving, get plugged in somewhere. Talk to myself, talk to Craig, Cliff, Ian, uh, both Dianes, uh, anybody that you see actively serving, just talk to him and say, hey, where can I help? Um, and let me tell you one more thing. The areas of service, you don't have to have a Bible college degree to serve in, right? That's good news. As long as you love Jesus, this is your home church, you're ready to serve, you're saying, God, use me, I'm ready. Listen, let's go. Let's get you plugged in. So, that's my rant on that. Uh, How many of you? uh, How many of you appreciate a a nap? You just you love naps. You like how I go from serving to naps. The best naps I have are after I'm done serving. So just you know, take that. Um, But I love rest. I love naps. You know, my my kids on the other hand. I'm sure I was like this at one point, but you try to get a seven-year-old down to you know, take a nap. I don't wanna take a nap. It's like, you're missing out, dude. Like, I don't know what your deal is, but anyways. Um, but we can all appreciate rest, right? Whether it's physically, we're getting a good night's sleep, or it's a reminder that our rest is found in Christ and Christ alone. Um, and so the next two weeks, I am taking a rest. <laughs> And I'm looking forward to it, not because uh, uh, I don't like being up here, but because uh, number one, I recognize that I need rest. And if I'm gonna preach on rest, I need to practice rest. Um, But number two is that if I didn't agree to taking some type of rest, Craig and Cliff and Ian were gonna beat me up. Um, And so I I, I appreciate them encouraging me to take a rest. I'm thankful that I have elders that will encourage the pastor, hey, we got this, we, we got it, take, take some time off. Um, now, that doesn't mean that you can take time off from coming to church just because I'm not preaching, okay? That's not a ticket for you to say, oh, he's not here. Uh, Cliff's preaching and, you know, I could have said Craig, but, you know, anyways. Um, but uh, I, I wanna thank, first of all, just the elders for allowing me to take a little bit of a break to the board, and thank you to the congregation as well. Um, but let me reassure you of this, you will be in good hands. Um, the, the two guys preaching uh, in my place, um, consider this their introduction, Craig and Cliff, um, and even Ian, when Ian is up here, um, they, they rightly handle the word of God, and you have nothing to worry about. They're gonna preach from the Bible, they're gonna teach from the Bible, they're gonna equip you because they know their roles, uh, that they're called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So, pray for them, encourage them, uh, You know, give them a slap on the back after they're done preaching, uh, very hard, uh, you probably do that every day, Diane, so, and Kim, you probably do that as well. Ian, you're, I'm sorry, we'll get you up here a week so Sarah can just, um uh, Tyrone, you're next. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, here's where we're going. Uh, this morning, we'll be here for about three hours um, be, um, because I, I I didn't bail on you all last week, but it was rough, hot, no voice. We, Diane's checking her watch already. We won't be here for three hours, okay? Um, but we are gonna do our best to finish chapter 15, and then when I get back, we're gonna finish Chapter sixteen, because that is what comes after fifteen to sixteen, and that's the last chapter in this First Corinthians, uh, the letter to the the first letter to the Corinthians. There's a second one, but God's really impressed it on my heart that after we're done with this series, we're going to go through uh, not the whole book of Revelation, but we're going to be looking at the seven churches in the beginning of Revelation. Uh, Paul writes a letter to the seven churches in uh, uh, Asia Minor, and uh, so we're going to be looking at the call-outs, uh, the rebukes, and listen, it's not just applicable for that, that church that we'll be looking at. It's relevant to our day and age as well. So um, after we're done with 1 Corinthians 16, we'll be looking at uh, the, uh, the letter to the seven churches. And so... Uh, this morning, if you have your Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, go ahead and stand. We're gonna just read verses 29 through 34 together. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. It would be up here, and uh, you can always pull out your phone, but make sure it's on silent when you have your phone out. Uh, so, verse 29 through 34. Uh, otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, Why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. God, we thank you that every time we open it, you speak to our hearts. Like I mentioned this morning, it's not a question of of if you'll speak to us. We know that you've already spoken to us through your word. The question is, are we listening? Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear this morning, that we wouldn't miss a single word from you. Pray that you would minister to our hearts, help us to walk out of these doors on fire for you, knowing that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a myth, but it actually happened. Jesus, you are alive. And because you're alive, we can have life in you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be glorified as we spend time in your word, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Can all have a seat? So, uh, just a little bit of a recap from last week. Some of the Corinthians did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, They didn't believe that there would actually be a resurrection of the dead, but Paul says, listen, if there's no resurrection of the dead, everything we've ever preached to you, all of our faith, it's all in vain. Because if Jesus, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus didn't even rise. And if there is no resurrection of Jesus, then our only hope is in this temporal life. And that is a great discouragement because you know what this temporal life is like. You know You know what it entails, the hurt, the despair. But because Jesus rose from the dead, there is hope. He is alive. And so in verse 20, just to recap a little bit, Paul says, but in fact, notice those three words. He says, but in fact, it is a fact that Christ has been raised from the dead. There is no question about it. Jesus is risen, he says he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I have this tomato plant in my backyard. I've mentioned a number of times that I don't have a green thumb. I have a brown thumb. Um, <clears throat> and when I first got it, I picked the one, and I'm sure you do this too. You pick the one that has the most flowers on it, right? Because you know that, well, the chances of me screwing that one up, it's, you know it's got flowers on it already. Uh, That was my thinking, that is my thinking, and I got a tomato, I got one tomato, and it was great, and I knew in the back of my mind, well, here's the first one, there must be more coming. Uh, Mind you, this is the first plant that I haven't killed yet, but I hear tomato plants are pretty hardy. Anyways, but that first tomato signified that more would be coming soon. The flowers were there. Uh, they were starting to fall off because they were getting ready to form into the, the actual tomato. But ultimately, Paul is saying, listen, since Christ is the first one to rise, since he is the first one to bloom, so to speak, out of the, out of the grave and stay alive, listen, that means that there is more to come. Those who have died in Christ, they will be resurrected too. Uh, and Paul will get into <clears throat> how there will be some that won't taste death, They'll be raptured, uh, as, as Paul will get into. But he starts out with the bad news. He starts out with how there's death, right? Death by Adam. Sorry, Adam. Um, verse 21 through 23, for as by one man came death, then he goes on to say in verse 23, for as in Adam all die. Right, God's original design for humanity was that we would live on forever. Death was not supposed to be present in the equation. And that's where we have to back up a little bit and enter the garden scene. Right, You're familiar with Genesis. You're familiar where God created and, and he created man and put man in the garden to tend and keep it. And then he created Eve to be a helpmate. Right, And his one rule was, listen, out of all of the trees I put in here except one, you can eat of but the minute you eat the moment you eat of the tree from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you're gonna die that's the bad news now death at this point was foreign to Adam and Eve they didn't know what death was they knew what life was because God had breathed, breathed life into man uh But they had no clue what death was. Death was foreign to Adam and Eve. They were told that they were ultimately going to live forever. Yet, God has given free will, free choice, right? In order uh, for us to decide whether we're going to obey God or disobey God. And you know the story. They ended up eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Their desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life were there. They caved in and went against the Lord's will. Enter sin. Sin came through Adam. And sin would ultimately lead to death. Romans 6:10, for the wages of sin is what? Death. He says that's the bad news. The bad news is that sin and death came through one man, and that one man was Adam. We can contribute that to Eve as well because they were, both, uh, they were both together on it. He says, that's the bad news. He says, well, let me give you some good news. The good news is, is that you can have life by Christ and in Christ. In verse 21 through 22, he says, by a man, you notice how he says a man, has come also the resurrection of the dead. So Paul already is stating, listen, there is going to be a resurrection of the dead And it's going to be, it's only going to happen by a man, which is Christ. He says in verse 22, in Christ, all shall be made alive. Since Jesus rose from the dead, if you are a follower of Christ this morning, your physical body will someday have a resurrection of its own. And to that, many of you, if you've already studied what the resurrection of the body is like, you're jumping up and down inside like, yes, I cannot wait because this tent I'm in is falling apart. I'm missing some pieces. (laughs) I'm, you know, my, my, my stand is all messed up or my, whatever you, I haven't been camping yet. I need to go camping. Um, Anyways, but your physical body will have a resurrection of its own, but only because Jesus rose from the dead first. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, there's no hope for a resurrected body. We're stuck. That's disappointing. But because of Christ, you and I have life if we are in Christ. Please catch that. Please understand that. Life only comes if you are in Christ. If you are outside of Christ, the only other option is death. Death. Internal separation from God. But you can have life in Christ because of what Christ did for us. Ephesians 2 1 through 2, it says, Once, now as I'm reading this, remember what your past life was like. Once you were dead, that's comforting, because of your disobedience and your sins. What if it just stopped right there? What if it just stopped? We would be so hopeless. Great, I'm dead because of my disobedience and sins. But Paul continues to the church in Ephesus. He says, you used to live in sin. You all remember that? You all remember how you used to live in sin? He says, just like the rest of the world, you were following the flow of the world. He says, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Listen, if you're not a believer this morning, the Bible says that you are dead. Facts. 100% dead. Not maybe you're alive. Listen, if you're not in Christ, you are spiritually dead. And that is worse than being physically dead. Not having a relationship with Christ is the worst thing that could happen we could possibly decide on, rejecting what Jesus did for us, saying, no, I got it on my own. Try it. Watch how quickly you fall apart. But listen, if you're not a believer this morning, you're filled with something else. You're filled with another spirit at work. Paul says it's uh, the commander of the powers in the unseen world, which is the devil. He is the spirit at work in the heart's of those who refuse to obey God. If you've rejected Jesus as your Savior, you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, therefore you are filled with some other type of spirit. And that spirit could very well be the devil, the spirit of the devil. And maybe that just scares the pieces out of you. I hope it does. (laughs) Because there's hope. Because... Listen, if you're looking for life, the only way, the only place to find life is in Christ. The man who took upon all the sins of the world upon himself, died on the cross, took every single ounce of the wrath of God upon himself for us, was buried, and then resurrected. Listen, that is where you find life, in believing that Jesus came to die for the sins of the world, that he rose again from the dead. Ephesians 2.5 says this, that even though we were dead, because of our sins, he gave us life. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. See, if you know Jesus and have a personal relationship with him, listen, you have life. Amen? Now Paul gets into the resurrection order. He says, In verse 23, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Paul will get into much more detail in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 14 through 17. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You ready for this? And so we will always be with the Lord. Amen. Amen. Listen, when Jesus comes back, those believers in Jesus who have died before us, they get a resurrected body first. And a lot of you are thinking, that's super unfair. Well, they died first, so cut them some slack, okay? But Paul says, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up and then we will receive a resurrected body. When Jesus returns, Paul, I think in the last verse, in verse 18, will say, encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other. Listen, because this life isn't it. And I am very thankful to God for that because if this life was it, we would all, we all should be depressed 24 seven. But listen, look to Jesus, look to his word. Remember what his word has promised us, that he's coming back, that this isn't it for the believer. Now, my next point is the end. Not the end of the sermon, (laughs) but the end. There's some things we need to know when it comes to the end. Now, I don't have a date for you of Christ's return. Not about to give you one of those. Neither is Jesus, because Jesus said that he didn't even know the hour when he would return, only the Father knows. But what end is Paul referring to he's ultimately referring to, and Paul received some type of revelation from the Lord about the end. He's referring to after the thousand year reign of Christ. Jesus, after the thousand year reign of Christ, will deliver the kingdom to the Father. Everything that sin, the flesh, the devil has ruined will be returned to God. He's saying everything that's been wrecked by the enemy, it'll be brought back to the Lord. Why? Because it's all his. Everything in this world is his. The enemy just likes to get his hands in everything and mess everything up. But God's desire is to recover it, to redeem it, to restore it. Our God is a God of redemption and of restoration. But I love this this part that he puts uh, here. If, if you read it quickly, you'll completely skip over it and listen. Listen. Just listen. You listening? The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Amen? Death will be no more. There will be no more death. Uh, the last enemy will be defeated which will be death. We were not created to die. When God created humanity, his purpose was for humanity to live forever. Now, if that were the case, you and I might actually run into Adam and Eve at the grocery store. Uh, But they ate of that that fruit. Therefore, bringing sin and death into the world. Death is an enemy. Yet because of Jesus' resurrection, the sting of death has been removed for the believer. It is a bittersweet thing because we know that when a believer dies, it's to be uh, absent in the body but present with the Lord. Philippians 1, 21 to 23, for to me to live is Christ, and look at what Paul says, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is better. Paul is saying, listen, I know for some of us, death is kind of a scary thing, but it means that I'm with Jesus, and that's where I want to be, in his presence forever. And listen, I get when, an unbelie- when a believer dies, our hearts are, are, are mourning and we're grieved by the death of this believer, but the hope is this. Since Jesus rose again, we'll see them again because they will have a resurrection. We'll, we'll be reun, reunited with loved ones that have gone on before us. And because Christ is risen, it should cause us to live differently Verse 29 through 34, Paul gets into talking about otherwise what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? Paul talks about this concept of baptizing uh, on behalf of the dead. Now, Paul says it really doesn't make any sense if you don't even believe in the resurrection of the dead. And it sounds weird when we come to this. It's what is he talking about? There are literally a billion different interpretations of this one question that Paul has, uh, but it needs to be taken literally because in our day and age, in some of the cults and world religions of our day and age, people are actually baptizing on behalf of the dead. Uh, let me just refresh our thinking for a minute. Baptism. Uh, does not save you. Getting dunked in water does not save you. Okay, only the name of Jesus, only the blood of Jesus saves a person. Not the water. When we do baptisms here, we don't put some magical potion in it and when you get dunked, you come out glowing and all your glow. No, we don't believe that. We believe that Jesus and what he did on the cross That is enough. Jesus paid the price for our sins. Baptism is an outward declaration of an inward confession and transformation by the Holy Spirit. What God has done in you, how he has saved you, you are declaring that, listen, my old life is dead. My new life in Christ, it has begun, all because of what Jesus did. Now, the Mormons actually believe in baptizing on behalf of the dead. Uh, it's not foreign to our day and age today. Uh, the LDS church baptizes on behalf of the dead. Baptisms of the dead happen inside the Mormon temples. Member, members of the LDS church volunteer to undergo full immersion baptism while the names of the dead are read. And an LDS member might participate in 10 or more baptisms at a time each time they're dunked in they say a name hoping and praying that when they are dunked in that water that that dead person will have a second chance at being saved listen doesn't work that way if you confess it doesn't say if somebody else confesses for you it says if you confess that jesus is lord you will be saved So what we read here isn't incredibly foreign to to some of the religions that we have in our day day and age. But baptism, I believe, is much simpler than the Mormons make it out to be. Baptism is a symbol of ultimately Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. And his question is this, Paul speaking, if you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, why are you baptizing in the name of the dead, behalf of the dead? It makes no sense. He says, why are we in danger every hour? He says, listen, if God did not raise Jesus from the dead, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then everything that we've ever gone through is absurd. All the shipwrecks that we've encountered, all the beatings, all the mockings, all the, all the persecution of our faith, if the resurrection of the dead doesn 't happen if jesus didn 't rise from the grave, then everything we 've ever gone through is absolutely a waste of time. He says, "What do I gain if humanly speaking I fought with beasts in Ephesus? Now the beast could have been any number of things. it could have been actually Paul being thrown into a lion 's den, uh, which was notorious for uh, many of the Romans to do to their prisoners was to throw them into a lion 's den or it, would, could, it could describe the, the men that Paul would face on trial. Whatever it was, Paul was saying, listen, if the resurrection of Christ did not happen, then what is all the point? What is the point? What is the point of standing before these beasts in Ephesus? He says, if the dead are not raised, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then let's just eat and drink, because tomorrow, guess what? We're gonna die, and that's it. We might as well just party it up until we just kill over. Paul says, he says, uh, where is it? There it is. Verse 32, he says, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. It's a direct quote from Isaiah 22, verse 13. But Paul is essentially saying, let's make a mess of our lives because there's nothing else after this. When we die, we die and that's it. There's nothing more. But since Jesus rose from the dead, there is more. And so our aim should not be, let's just do whatever and live recklessly. Let's live on purpose because God has given us purpose. And many people, I think you may know them or you may be that person yourself are living in a place right now thinking that this is it. We're just gonna die after this. I don't believe in an afterlife. I don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I don't even really believe in God. Uh, Listen, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day, if you call upon the name of the Lord, your eternal destination will change from hell to heaven. No longer will you be bound to eternity in a place of torment, but you'll be headed to heaven, all because of your acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord. The resurrection of Christ gives purpose to our lives. It gives us purpose to live on purpose for him. And if Christ didn't rise from the dead, Paul is ultimately saying then self-indulgence makes total sense. Let's just party it up. Let's just waste our lives. Just makes sense to just please ourselves because this is it. But since Christ rose from the dead, we have more to live for. And Paul, here, as we get further down, he gives us three commands. The command number one, command one, is don't be deceived by resurrection deniers, right? You've probably come into contact with some people that deny the resurrection. They don't believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. But like Paul says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Uh, You won't find Jesus' bones anywhere in any museum. You won't find anything of that nature. You'll find Buddhas. You'll find the founder of the Mormon's Church bones in his grave and his. You'll find, but you won't find Jesus's, because Jesus is alive. In verse thirty-three, he says, "Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals." How many of you have quoted this to your kids before? You've quoted that, maybe you've even quoted that to a friend of yours because they're just hanging out with the wrong people. That's kind of what Paul is referring to, but more so he's saying the bad company are those who have heretical teaching, who who deny the resurrection of the dead, who deny the resurrection of Christ. He's saying, listen, if you hang out with these people that deny the resurrection, you'll start being influenced by them and pretty soon you'll start gathering, start wanting to gather the same information that they have. But it's funny where Paul pulls this quote from. It's not something that he actually said. He was actually mocking some of what was going on in uh, the plays that were happening in Corinth. This saying was actually taken from a comedy uh, that was put on within the Corinthian culture, and he was actually rubbing it it in their face, saying, listen, you know from your plays, you've heard it said through this one play that you guys have, that bad company corrupts good morals. But I love how Paul takes an earthly thing and points to a heavenly thing. He's, He's ultimately saying this, do not let false doctrine of others influence what you have been taught. Paul came in and influenced Apollos, who Apollos would in turn become the leader uh, of the Corinthian church. And he says, listen, everything that you've been taught, the sound doctrine, hang on to that. Uh, We live in a culture much like Corinth today where false teachers will try and corrupt the sound doctrine that we have been taught. Stephen Furtick, T.D. Jakes, Some of you are like, no, not that guy. He wrote a bunch of good books, and I have one on my shelf. Grab it and throw it away. Uh, Creflo Dollar, Benny Hinn, on and on and on. Uh, Andy Stanley is another one. Listen, hang on to the word of God, the sound doctrine of the word of God. Read the word of God. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. The sound doctrine that you have, hold on to it. How do you become uh, undeceived or not deceived? Stay in the word of God. Study the scriptures. If this is the only time that you are in the word of God is a Sunday morning, there's trouble. You and I need to be in the word of God every single day. And lastly, Believe in the resurrection of Christ. Believe in Jesus' resurrection. The command uh, that he gives next, the second one, is wake up from your drunken stupor. You use the word stupor in your everyday vocabulary. I said stupor, not stupid, stupor, okay? Drunken stupor. Stupor means having a lack of common sense, right? Uh, Bob frequently says, I think it's Bob, that common sense is not so common, right? It just doesn't exist. Common sense is one of those things that we all sometimes wish we had, uh, but we just don't. It's drunken stupor. (laughs) Not just a lack of common sense, but even the, the lack of common sense you have is drunk, now picture somebody with a lack of common sense and picture them being drunk and there you have your analogy, a drunken person lacking, lacking common sense. Paul is saying ultimately to the Corinthians, come to your senses, wake up. He's ultimately calling them to a state of being sober-minded. So what happens when we choose to be in a drunk state? drunken stupor. Well, whether physically or spiritually, if you are not sober-minded, it is a huge opportunity for the enemy to devour you. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You've all seen the safari channel, right? Where the lions are scoping out their next meal and they're hiding behind the bush and it's just this one lone gazelle, whatever it's called, whatever they eat. And that, that animal is completely oblivious to the surrounding. And it's just minding its own business. There is no common sense in this animal at all. He's not being watchful. And wham, the lion gets him many of us have been at some point that gazelle where we have been oblivious spiritually physically we haven't been in the word we haven't been praying we haven't been sober minded which staying in the state this drunken stupor leaves you and i susceptible to the attack of the enemy. Command, command number three: Stop sinning. I could just camp out right there and just say, "Stop sinning," and we can easily move on. But Jesus, right? He's at the temple early in the morning, and the scribes bring a woman who is caught in adultery before Jesus. And the Pharisees say, listen, we found this woman who's been caught in adultery. The law commands us to stone such a woman. What do you say? Not even saying a word. Jesus, he gets down and he writes in the ground. And they keep badgering him. Well, what do you you think? Should we get the rocks? Should we start stoning this woman because she's committed adultery? what does Jesus do again? He gets down, he kneels down and he starts, I don't know what he's writing, but he's writing something. And it says, one by one, starting with the oldest, they went away. And who's left? The woman. And Jesus says this. He says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. He doesn't stop there. He says, go, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus had just done an incredibly remarkable act with coming in the, uh, this position and really being in defense of this sinful woman. Obviously, she was in some type of sin for Jesus to say, go on and sin no more, But listen, the adulterous woman had to have some knowledge of the truth at this point. Only Jesus could command somebody to say, go and sin no more, and neither do I condemn you. She had knowledge at this point. And much like the believers in Corinth, they chose to sin, even knowing what they knew about Christ. Listen, if you have knowledge of the Lord this morning, you know what he has done for you. You know that he paid the price for your sins, rose again from the dead. If you have that knowledge, then this is a strong word for you. Stop sinning. The Corinthians had a plethora of knowledge when it came to to Christ and what he had done. And Paul is essentially saying this, listen, don't be deceived by the resurrection deniers, okay? He says, listen, bad company corrupts good morals. He says, stop sinning. Paul was really calling out those who had knowledge of the Lord. And he says, I'm saying this to your shame because here you know it's a fact that Jesus rose from the grave, but you're denying the resurrection of the dead and you're infiltrating the church in Corinth with your heretical teaching. Stop it. And Paul is ultimately commanding the church, whether physically or doctrinally, to stop sinning. Now, uh, Paul gets into the resurrection body answers. Um, In verse 35 through 49, now Paul asks, he's been asked these questions How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You notice how he says, "You foolish person." Uh, this question was not out of arrogance because they didn't really know. You know, they, they were asking Paul because they were trying to rub it in his face. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have wrote, "You foolish person." If they really were asking out of a genuine or authentic position, he would have been like, "Oh man, I'm sorry, you're not clear on this." No, he says, "You're a bunch of idiots." You're a bunch of barnyards. Like You need to stop asking these questions that you already have the answers to. He uses the analogy of a seed. And he's ultimately saying if God can take a bare kernel, a seed which is dead and can turn it into a plant, don't you think that he can take a dead corpse and raise it from the dead as well? See, God raises dead things to life. And if you are in Christ you are living proof of that this morning. And then he uses the analogy of bodies. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to talk to to Moses, but Moses is from Uganda. Now, um, from what I understand, is that uh, he characterizes people based off of tribes in Uganda. So, naturally, I had to ask the question, what tribe would I fit into? I don't remember the name of the tribe because it's another language, Um, but it's the tribe that has big beards, tall and thick, right? So I'm okay with that. Brad, Ken, and myself, we apparently all fall into that category. Um, I'm not sure what the women of that tribe look like. Hopefully they don't have big beards. (laughs) Um, Or are, anyways, we won't touch that. Um, But the point is this, with our different bodies, if God designs what he creates to flourish where it exists, It is reasonable for him to design the resurrected corpse of believers to flourish in his future kingdom. Our physical bodies right now could not handle the things of the kingdom. That's why we have to have a resurrected body because our bodies that we have right now, they're not so great. I don't care how much you work out or how much you don't work out or how healthy you eat. Listen, our bodies... Yeah, they do us more disservice than service. But the major points in this section section is this. God brings dead things to life, amen? Jesus, Lazarus, Jairus' daughter in sinful humanity. Colossians 2.13, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins. So, Here's the answer uh, to this question. What will our resurrected bodies be like? Much better than the ones that we have now. Amen? Yeah. And then <laughs> verse 50 through 58, in closing. See, it wasn't three hours. Uh, some of you are thinking, but it was long enough, okay? Um, yeah, don't tempt me. Um I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Paul is saying the kingdom of God is not made by human hands. Do you remember in the book of Hebrews where it says that all of these in the hall of faith were looking forward to a city whose, uh, whose builder uh, did not have human hands, who, who is the author and finisher of their salvation? Listen, heaven is not home to those who have gone to architectural school, right? Heaven is not home to those who have a degree in construction. Heaven is home to those who realize that the only way to get there is through Jesus Christ. Verse 51, Paul says this, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, right? This is a verse that you put up above the door of a nursery, okay? We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. <laughs> if you've had babies before, you know the reality of that. Uh, you live off of that verse because it is so true. Um, but the mystery is this. We shall not all sleep. Now, Paul's not literally talking about grabbing your, you know, your nap time pillow and your blankie and taking a nap. He's not talking about sleep in the physical sense, and he's not talking about soul sleeping either, where your soul is going to sleep and something goofy will happen after that. Uh, Paul uses this as this is just something that's, that's going to happen momentarily because if you're in Christ, there's a resurrection going to happen. Whether that's by death, you die, and when Jesus comes back, your body will be risen, or you're here right now and you'll be caught up before you even taste death. That's the mystery. Verse 52 through 55, he says this in a moment, he says, We're all going to be changed in a moment. He says, In the twinkling of an eye. Uh, You realize how fast you blink your eyes, right? Jesus could come like that. He says, At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Paul is saying, listen, right now we're clothed with the perishable. Like you have an expiration date on your body right now. Uh, it expires. This tent does not last forever. That's why Jesus says I go to prepare a place for you. I'm building a mansion for you. It could, Jesus could very well be talking about the bodies that we will receive, or he could be talking about a literal mansion, why we would need anything in heaven other than Jesus, I don't know. But listen, he's saying this, when we are clothed with the imperishable, death will no longer have victory. Death will no longer have a sting, why? The answer is in the next verse in 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is king over death, over sin, and over the grave. With all that being said, Paul finishes this chapter on the resurrection with this. Therefore, so in light of everything that I just talked about, everything that I had just written to you about, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Paul encourages the believers to keep going, to be immovable, to be steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord, always making sure that we're doing all that we can to bring glory to God. Gordon Clark comments it on, uh, comments, or translates it this way. He says, therefore, we should mortify emotion Be steadfast, unchangeable, not erratic and scatterbrained, easily discouraged, and should multiply our good works in the knowledge that the Lord will make them profitable. Listen, there was a lot of heresy being spread when it came to the resurrection of the dead and even the resurrection of Christ. But Paul says, stand firm in what you've been taught Be immovable and sound doctrine. When somebody tries to push you around with some false teaching, remember the word of God and what the word of God says about the resurrection, that Jesus rose from the dead and is coming back again. Maybe you're not so sure where you would go when you die. I'm sure throughout ages, throughout the ages, ever since Jesus had Ascended to the Father, people had the question, just like we have the question today what's going to happen after I die? Listen, you can know what will happen after you die if you place your trust and hope and faith in Christ and Christ alone. Jesus died, rose again from the dead, so we could be assured that when we die, we too will one day go to heaven. And be in the presence of the Lord forever. So listen, maybe you're not sure. My encouragement to you is to trust in Jesus. Believe in the finished work on the cross, his burial and resurrection. For in what Jesus did lies the power to bring the dead to life. Amen? Let's all stand. Lord, thank you that there is power in the resurrection. So much so that because of your resurrection, the dead in Christ will rise as well. Our bodies will be resurrected. These bodies that we have now, these tents, they get sick, they, they get cancer, they get diseases, they even get, come in contact with COVID. These tents were not made to last because of the effects of the fall, because of sin, because of death. All of us have an expiration date on us. We're not guaranteed another minute. Scripture says that our life is like a vapor it's here one second and it's gone the next. Lord, I pray that if anyone in this room this morning or watching online, Lord, maybe they're living with the mentality of let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die, of living in a reckless manner, not giving any thought to their relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would come in and invade their thinking, change their thinking, help them to see their need for you, Jesus. It is only by your name and by being in you that we have life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just shake us up, wake us up, get us out of our drunken stupor, help us to come to our senses, help us to be sober-minded sober and watchful. Lord, I ask that you would be glorified through us, that you would help us to live on purpose for you because we know that you're coming back again. And so, Lord, we ask that you would be glorified and exalted And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hello all, and thank you for checking out this episode of the Gray Avenue Christian Church Podcast. For any more information about who we are, uh, feel free to check out our Facebook and our website. Again, thank you for your support. And uh, we will catch you next time. Have a blessed week.